Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, warriors for the truth. Another edition of Stand Up for the Truth. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm looking at that calendar, and oh my goodness, it's beginning to feel like Christmas. Well, maybe not for some of us. For some of you, maybe, I don't know. But uh, it's getting closer. We're under a week away, and I hope that uh, you are remembering the reason for the season um, I did a video yesterday, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll share that at some point before next week, that, uh, you know, sometimes it's hard when we have a very difficult year, which in my personal life, my wife and I, it's been one of the hardest in my life in so many different areas. Um, it, it can be more difficult to, to I guess, uh, naturally flow into the Christmas season and have that spirit. And, but you know what? Happiness depends on our circumstances, but joy is of the Lord, and the joy of the Lord is our strength, and that's one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And um, so I would encourage you to stay in the Word of God and cultivate that eternal perspective, because this is all temporary. Father in heaven, thank you for another day. Teach us to number our days, Lord, that we may gain a heart of wisdom, and we need wisdom in these last days. Um, We need to understand the times, and we need to know what our role is is in our families, in our churches, in our communities. Father, I pray that you'd encourage our friends in Christ, our family in Christ, to share the gospel at every opportunity, Lord. I pray that we would be led by your Holy Spirit, and I ask that you'd give us a greater sensitivity to the leading of your Spirit. First and foremost, that we may love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. And as we love our neighbors, help us to be able to tell them the truth. Help us to love them that much, because we know that Jesus loves us and gave his life for us. We thank you for this season and the hope that we have and all that we have to look forward to, Lord. But right now, it's a day at a time. And we rely on your strength. And thank you for this day and for this program. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, two um, things, education, which is very important, and Christmas, the history, not story, not fable, but true history of Christmas. We're going to get to that in segment two and three with our guest today, Pastor Randy White, Randy White Ministries. Uh, Good morning, Pastor Randy. Welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth. Good morning, and I'm so happy to be back with you again today. Yes, good to have you. Before we get into Christmas, uh, what's been going on in your church and your ministry? Seems like different churches approach this season different ways, and uh, as a pastor, I just am curious on, do you guys do anything unique or different, or do you just just plow through the Bible, and uh, how do you celebrate the season at your church? Well, you know, our church really is built upon verse-by-verse Bible teaching, and that is what we do year in and year out, uh, regardless of the season. And uh, so we've been doing that, and I'm looking forward to a beautiful 
candlelight Christmas Eve service that we do every year. As a matter of mm -hmm. fact, some of your listeners may be interested if they are unable to get out to a Christmas Eve service. We do an online only exclusive candlelight service designed for people at oh. their home with their family. They can't get out to a service or there's not a service. And that's going to be available at randywhiteministries.org at uh, 8 p.m. Central Time. That's a good idea, actually. That's a very good we do idea. We're in house in yeah. Taos, New Mexico, at a little earlier. And then we come just for that online audience. And it really works out wonderfully. You know, it's interesting the technology that we have and, and how maybe a hundred years ago, uh, Christians probably could not look ahead and see all the different tools we have to share the gospel and to reach people outside of our community, outside of our state and country and around the world. It's amazing. I know the inter internet uh, and social media can be used in bad ways, and a lot of people do, but the church, I think, can really take advantage of things like you just explained. And I think we need to. There's so much need uh, and so many people that are isolated, even in our crowded world, yes. that uh, the Internet can provide some great resources for supplemental Bible teaching or in-depth Bible teaching. And that's what we try to do. And that's one thing the Internet kind of does, uh, maybe unintentionally. It kind of facilitates um, isolation and a lack of physical, social interaction with human beings and we need that we are made to we are relational beings and so there's challenges there so i understand how having a service something as simple as a candlelight service on christmas eve that people can tune into that maybe they don't have one at their church or maybe they're not part of a church and there's a lot of lonely people who feel more lonely around christmas time particularly if they've lost a loved one or maybe they've been divorced um, so uh, thank you for what you do, and I know I'm sure a lot of other churches do something similar, and uh, that is a good thing. Thank you, and I think it's such a beautiful season just to worship our Lord and to gather together with others or connect with others spiritually, even if there's a distance of the miles. Amen. Pastor Randy, uh, before we get into talking about Christmas and the the true history of the Bible, the Gospels, what did those people— I was going to say characters, but when you say characters in the Bible story, then you kind of your your mind kind of goes to cartoon. So it does, doesn't it? Let's they were say, real people. Yeah. What do these real human beings who went through this? What did they know when Jesus, the the announcement of the Christ, was uh, coming? But let's go back and talk about education right now. And um, we haven't spent a lot of time talking about the John Nelson Darby Academy. And I want you to just share with our listeners, first of all, its origin, and then uh, it's obviously for people that want to have a home-based education, a private uh, homeschool uh, children, and more families are taking advantage of this. So just share a little bit about that, Pastor Randy. I will. We started the John Nelson Darby Academy. We're in our second year now. And... and oh, Parents and families, those who are looking for a homeschool option and yet they need the help, the assistance of knowing that someone can be there and provide the curriculum for them, someone can be there and provide the, the uh, impetus for their child to uh, get, the, get the work done on time, all of those kind of things that are 
honestly kind of difficult for a parent and yet is a parent's chief responsibility. And so we just decided to come in and partner with the parent and carry out these things in a uh, unique setting where a child can learn at home or at uh, the parent's office uh, or maybe in a church setting where there are two or three students even gathered together. And we facilitate that learning through a full curriculum for third through 12th graders. Can you explain that a little more uh, being uh, based on actually online for those, maybe there's not as many people now these days, but there are still some of our listeners and people out there, Christian families that just have a hard time understanding how you can actually teach a curriculum or homeschool without being there in person in like a classroom setting. Yeah, you know, this is, it's really an individual learning program. And what we do is set the curriculum in front of the child uh, through the computer and we then facilitate really the child teaching themselves. We are not a video-based program. There's actually very little video in our program. It's much more a reading-based program and an interaction program. And as we set the math or the science or the history of the Bible, whatever the class may be before them, then they work through the material and they master the material and we make sure they're making progress. And when they get stuck, then we have our teachers that are right there to help them and and interact with them online to help uh, overcome these issues but it really is the best kind of learning because it's a child teaching themselves and yet having someone there to give some oversight and some guidance as they do so and it allows a student to work really at their own pace to work in a matter that is uh uh, uh fits their learning style. In some classes, mm-hmm. they just sail and they go so fast and the, yeah. because they know the material, there's no need to dwell on it. And others, they're able to stop and say, I've got to figure this out before I can go on. And so it's very individual, tailored learning. Um, at the risk of being redundant, my next question is about the problems in public education. We've had Alex Newman on with The New American, Dr. Duke Pesta, many, many others. We know the problems morally in the government-run education system, the ABC curriculum, anything but Christian or anything but Christ. Uh, What are some of the problems with the classroom style that maybe the basic problems that we're missing out of that caused you to start the uh, John Nelson Darby Academy? I appreciate that question because there is so much when it comes to public education that we do talk about and should talk about. And that's the morality that is being taught, the agenda that is behind public education, and honestly, the social experimentation that is behind uh, public education and has been since uh, uh, Thomas Dewey really invented the modern public education system. He was one that uh, used public education from day one to be a social engineering experiment. And that's why through the years, public education has gone through so many different philosophies. It seems like uh, every new leader, every new day, every new generation, they bring a new educational philosophy because it really is a social experimentation uh, kind of uh, project that, that Dewey brought into American society. Now, we have really talked about so much of that kind of stuff. And again, it's a very valid conversation. But I think one of the things we miss is, is a classroom setting really the best way for a child to learn? (laughs) You bring together in almost every public school education, you bring together 20, 25, 30, 35 students 
and set them in a classroom and expect them to be able to learn to, well. To focus. Huh? Yeah, exactly. It, it uh, makes it hard for the teacher to focus because there's there's some distractions in the room always. Mm -hmm. There are one or two or three or four kids who are potentially violent and disruptive. There are a number of kids there who may be uh, sick and coughing and sneezing and uh, just, uh, you know, there's 25 or 30 different distractions given there. <laughs> I think even uh, you and I as adults don't learn that well in a classroom setting when we really learn something, probably if we thought about it, the things that where we really began to grasp it, we did it on our own. We got in the book, we opened it up, we dug in, and it may have been a classroom that helped us to do that, but it was really on our own that we learned it. And so we just decided, to, you know, let's, let's uh, capitalize on this ability that we as humans have of teaching ourselves. Uh, we have a parent here of one of your students, and before we get to him, I want to ask his perspective as a parent. Um, you mentioned the social aspect a little bit earlier, and one of the arguments that people give against homeschooling is, you, you know, kids, they don't have social development or, you know, they, they're not as mature. But I find it just to be the opposite when I meet homeschooled kids. They seem to be mature. They seem to be respectful. They seem to have manners and discipline and things that I just don't see from kids the same age in the public school. What would you, how would you respond, Pastor Randy, to that argument that, uh, well, my child needs social interaction in the public schools? You know, I think we've heard this argument ever since homeschooling began to be a thing and that these homeschool students were going to be socially awkward. And yet the truth is when you meet an American teenager, just the average American 14, 15, 16 year old teenager, and you ask yourself, are is this group socially developed for an adult world? And the truth is they're not. The, the, Public schooling is not putting out teenagers who can deal in an adult world setting. And I think that uh, what we what we find out is even social development with younger kids, two or three year old kids would if 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 it's so valuable to put them in a classroom setting to get that our two-year-olds, our three-year-olds. We don't do it because the best way to teach social development is for mom and dad to teach social development. You put a child in a setting where they're interacting with people of every age group like they do in a homeschool setting, they learn to interact with every age group and they become very competent as adults in social interaction. I think this has been proven just uh, infinite number of times with homeschooling over the last generation. Pastor Randy, I want to have a crash come on and share his experience with his son, Patrick, being part of the John Nelson Darby Academy. And I would just like to, just to hear your you know, banter back and forth on maybe crash, first of all, your experience and um, the jump it took for you to maybe, the, maybe it was a leap of faith, maybe financially, maybe in another way to get Patrick first enrolled and out of the public school. So just share your experience. First of all, I will say that uh, I am a parent of, of this homeschooling curriculum. I am not a paid actor. Uh, <laughs> Randy, uh, Pastor Randy, um, I wanted to go back a little bit while you were talking about the public schools because I need to segue this way. There's other things besides the learning environment, but one of the reasons that we were motivated by just feedback from Patrick was the uh, extracurricular 
uh, curricular uh, activities also. He was uh, being teased and bullied. Are you talking lo- about in the public school? Right. Okay. In the in the in the uh, in the lunchrooms and on the playgrounds and stuff like that. And and uh, because there's so many students, there just wasn't enough teachers to always keep an eye on things. And that was exactly. one of, that was one of the motivators. I wanted to put that in because he was talking about what things that are going on in the classroom. So um, what kept us uh, waiting till he Patrick's in seventh grade. What made us wait for so long wasn't just because we were busy or we thought we couldn't afford it, but we also wanted to make sure we had Patrick's buy-in on it um, because I just don't see how it would be right to force him to come home and be homeschooled or whatever. I've heard different arguments about that. That was never really a challenge. And I think uh, if I would have been starting out, I might have been asking, okay, Randy, how do I convince my wife to do this, help me with this, or how do I convince my child to do that? Uh, is that right. ever, and has that if ever I could taken? interject here just yeah, a go moment, ahead. I, what we experience is that it's kind of a lot of angst on the parents because most of the parents in our generation, we grew up with a public school setting or at best a classroom setting in private education, and that's the only thing we really knew. Back, you know, prior to, say, the mid-80s, homeschooling was almost unheard of. Yeah. So we 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 don't have a basis to go from uh if you're 40 years old and, and above so we have a little bit of anxiety about pulling our kids out of that and some of the experiences that we had that were good and of course because we're older we've forgotten all the bad experiences that we had on the playground and in the lunchroom and in the bathroom and everywhere else that uh, took place through all of that and the the the, the time wasted and the things we could have learned and whatnot but on of the students uh, we find especially boys are very eager to get into a, a situation in which they can uh, control their own destiny in a sense. And boys really love the program. Girls uh, always buy in and do well, but it's the boys that jump into it. I mean, they're ready to get on the high diving board and go. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, Crash, do you have another point to make about Patrick being involved? Well, what, and another thing that was holding us back, Katie and I, we, what, is, is this legal? You know, we're going like, wait a minute, you know, can we, how do, how do we pull them out of after six years, uh, um, sixth grade, like how do we stop, you know, is this legal just to stop going to public school and things like that? So uh, that transition, it wasn't a problem at all. So that was one of the things that we concerned about. Good point. That's right. In most states, it's surprisingly easy. And we do work with families in their state to make sure they're abiding by state regulations. And, uh, of course, uh, was the time and how much it cost. And there's one more thing, and I, I think we should take a break. There's one more thing that I think that, that we want to bring up, but uh, we're getting close to break time. Uh, Stand Up for the Truth, we're visiting with uh, Dr. Randy White uh, about public education. And you, what was the other one about you're going to be later on about Christmas? Actually, no, we, well, we, have, uh, we didn't get everything in, Pastor Randy. About a couple more questions we, I wanted to ask about the John Nelson Darby Academy for those parents who are concerned about their kids in the public education. And I w- want to give them a little bit more information. So two more questions on the other side of this break. But up next, um, after that, we're going to get to what did the people know at the time who were part of biblical history of what we know as Christmas. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth 
with David Fiorazzo. We're talking with Pastor Randy White, and thank you for that second introduction. I guess that's that means this is going to be a very important segment. <laughs> Pastor Randy White, uh, we were talking about the John Nelson Darby Academy, and I definitely want to get these in before we talk about the people in Christmas history, the Christmas story. Uh, what kinds of classes are taught during this or through the academy? And also, what does a day in the life of a homeschool student look like? Excellent. And I so appreciate uh, our parent here that's with us. And of course, he knows what his son is uh, working through, but mm-hmm. uh, and could give a few comments on it here. But uh, we, the core student takes five classes, Bible, math, science, English, and history. Now, of course, then as a child gets older into later junior high and into high school, they have electives. And it's a full range of electives, languages, computer technology, wow. uh, computer coding, uh, state history, business classes, keyboarding, on and on it goes on the possible electives that are given. And really, I think the courses that we offer are just uh, academically excellent and students learn to be great readers, great investigators. They learn the facts and then they're able to communicate those facts. That, and and that's the most amazing part of it because one of my pushbacks was I thought it was going to be not as good as public education. And uh, so when... Because that's what you're told. That's what. The, that's just what I thought. And so when we, we when we stepped out in faith, and it's very affordable, by the way, very affordable. I was I was very blessed by how affordable it is on on our ministry salaries. Mm-hmm. And but uh, Randy, I really love what I loved about it was how um, the 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 uh, curriculum started having to teach Patrick how to learn. It was, you, you were teaching him how to take effective notes and how to uh, just the, 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 the important parts, the skills that you need to learn this material. And um, I, I really enjoy, I do the Bible studies with, with my, with, with Patrick. That Katie helps with the math and stuff like that. Are you there? Are you still with us? Yes. Okay. There. Yeah, and I just uh, the I've learned so much from these Bible studies. Amen. And, 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 and I got a seventh grader learning these things. A seventh grader learning things that I didn't even know. Just wonderful things. Yeah. And uh, so and it it's is true in in math and science and history and English and all those uh, things. And we're able to make custom classes for kids too. We've got one that's doing a coding class with an expert coder and working individually on, on a custom curriculum. So there are wow. areas as the child grows older and gets some interest that we can really help hone in and make education exciting for them. Katie loves it. I wish she could be here. She's working, doing some ministry work, but uh, she would have so much to say. She absolutely loves uh, doing this with Patrick, and and uh, she so she she she's probably more involved than than some, but she really does enjoy it. Well, there you go, Pastor Randy. How's that for a nice little uh, commercial for the uh, from a parent? Well, you can't uh, beat that. And by the way, let me say we would be happy to have students who want to switch mid semester, and we'll take them uh, in January for the second semester and get them right up to speed. Glowing reviews for the John Nelson Darby Academy. Thank you, Pastor Randy. Now, what we really wanted to get to this morning, as we are getting closer and closer to celebrating Christmas, which is the incarnation, the mystery, the birth of our Lord Jesus on this earth. The Word became flesh. What did the people at the time actually know 
And you know the song, Mary, Did You Know? Well, they were all Jews except for, I think, the Magi. Uh, So what did they know, the people that were mentioned in biblical history about the Christmas story, Pastor Randy? Amen. If we ask Mary, did you know? And Joseph, did you know? And Zechariah and Elizabeth, did you know? And Simeon and Anna, did you know? And shepherds, did you know? And Magi, did you know? (laughs) What we find out is they knew so much. And I think we forget that they had this background in Hebrew prophecy that answered so many questions. And they just had some logistical issues that they didn't know. But the the facts of who Christ was or who Jesus was as the Christ, the role that he was, the the kingdom mission that he had, the, the even even the redemptive mission that he had, all of this was known in Scripture, and it really is, I think, very encouraging to me as I look at this and see, for example, even Mary, uh, when the angel Gabriel comes and speaks to her and says, you know, I will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. And she didn't stop and say, what are you talking about? Kingdom, David, uh, reign, rule, where's all that coming from? And the only thing she has is a logistical question, which is, I've not known a man. How is this going to be? And we see that she is so aware, not only because Angel Gabriel announces it to her, but even the things that Gabriel announces were things that she didn't have to ask questions about because she had studied before. So the the average person, Pastor Randy, um, and I'm I'm like, like I guess in our modern day vernacular might be the middle class or the working class uh, person at that time. Did they know the farmers, the the shepherds? Did they know the Hebrew prophecies? Did they know the scriptures? Did they go to temple? I think that this was a society which was, first of all, far more educated than we typically understand of the ancient world. And this is probably true even outside of the ancient Hebrew world into the Greco-Roman world of that day. Education was highly valued. But within the Hebrew world, they not only were really highly educated and articulate, but in their Hebrew scriptures, they were very educated and understanding. And this was a time period of heightened messianic expectation because of the prophecies that Daniel had given that really gave a timetable that said to them, this is the time that Messiah needs to be born. And so they were, as a society, very much expecting the arrival of the Messiah and looking for the arrival of the Messiah. And with that, of course, then they were studying the prophecies about the Messiah. And I think that probably in that day, the average person, the shepherd, the carpenter, uh, the uh, from the the and and the more uh, high echelon of the priests, they probably knew more than the average seminary graduate today. Honestly, that's interesting. That's really interesting because we we tend to look at all those involved in the Christmas story as maybe poor, maybe um, not being that educated. So thank you for clarifying that. I want to get a better understanding of the timeline. You said most of them knew about Daniel's prophecies. Now, how long, uh, what what kind of gap there between Daniel's prophecies and, for example, Luke uh, chapter 1 or the Christmas story when Mary first, you know, the angel announced to Mary and everything like that happened in Luke? 
Right. And let me just add to that with Luke and both both Luke and Matthew and then tie this into Daniel. Yes. They both feel like they cannot give the Christmas story without giving a genealogy. Yes. Matthew does it first. Luke does it uh, to uh, to to tie up the bow on the story and say you need this information to say that this is not an experience or an event that is happening uh, disconnected from our Hebrew history. This is something that Luke says, we've got to go back to Adam to understand it. And Matthew, of course, goes back to Abraham to understand it and follows that along to sort of bring them up to speed and say, again, this is not a random occurrence that God just suddenly decided to send his only begotten son. And he chose this random woman in Nazareth and uh, this random place down in Bethlehem. This is so planned out to the nth degree. In fact, Micah the prophet says that uh, Bethlehem, land of Judah, out of you will come forth a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. And this is how the scribes knew where he was going to be born and knew to tell the Magi where to go. And you have Daniel who gives the prophecy that says 483 years after the decree to build the temple, Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. Now, they had just done the simple math and realized that if he's going to be cut off at 483, he's got to be born. And uh, it's, you know, give it five years time span in here. He's got to come during this time period. Wow. There's so much had to build up to this. You know, I mean, I even think of Isaiah going back around 700 years uh, before Christ and uh, his Famous prophecy in Isaiah 9 that, uh, you know, wonderful counselor, he will be called Prince of Peace. The government will be on his shoulders. I want to squeeze in a question here, Pastor Randy. How can we not talk about what people knew without mentioning how they heard about it? The angels, the angels that announced the story, every time I think it's an angel is mentioned, there's, uh, there's fear. I, th- I think of uh, Zechariah. Gripped with fear, I think one translation says, and the angel almost always says, fear not. So what is it about their appearance into the world? Are they thinking when they see an angel, it's judgment time? Right. When you, I I think just having an experience with an angel is... (laughs) A frightening thing, I suppose. (laughs) I'll tell you if I ever have one. (laughs) You'll right up. But uh, that that supernatural appearance in and of itself is just a frightening experience. Mm. But, you know, as you look through this, there is, of course, uh, angels galore in the Christmas story from Mary. Uh, Joseph, an angel appears to him in a dream. Mm-hmm. You have, of course, the shepherds. You have Zachariah and Elizabeth uh, and the, the, the angels. When you look at the message of the angels, the, the message is always, again, telling what the Hebrew prophecies had already prophesied. For example, they come to the shepherds. Today there has been born for you in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, that was really not a surprise that that was coming, and the shepherds were expecting that to be someday. And so they don't stop and say, wait a minute, <laughs> we got to back up a few chapters. I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean a savior? What right. do you mean uh, in the city of David? Uh, and they understand what is happening. So mm-hmm. the only thing that the angels do 
exclusively in all these cases when they appear in this first Christmas story, the only thing that they do is give, again, some logistic information. This shall be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And so they go to look for that sign, knowing which baby to look for. And of course, uh, that's a pretty obvious sign right there. And oh my they, goodness. they then they go away glorifying God for the things that they had seen and heard, telling others what uh, the, had happened. And there was that proclamation by the shepherds, by Mary, by Simeon and Anna, Zachariah and Elizabeth, that this is the Redeemer this is Christ, the son of the living God. Sometimes we mistakenly think Peter was the first to understand this in the, in the Caesarea Philippi experience, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. But read Luke chapter one and two closely and Matthew chapter two, uh, one and two closely, and you will see that they knew Jesus was the Christ, the son of God, right from even before his birth, from the announcement of his mm-hmm. birth. Amen. Um, Pastor Randy, let's go back to Mary, and I just want to get your take on the song. As beautiful as it is, as emotional, and I think a, a lot of a lot of women particularly can relate to that. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would grow up and you know be the savior of the world? Um, Mary did know a lot. Apparently, she first of all, if she didn't know from the Hebrew Scriptures, the angel announced the child to be the son of God, and she knew about his role as one who would establish the kingdom. So does the song kind of, like I said, as beautiful as it is, does it kind of do a disservice to the actual truth of what Mary and the principal, uh, the people at the time, really knew about the coming Messiah? You know, it it is... uh somewhat uh, unfortunate that <laughs> it is such a beautiful song, such a it pensive is. song yes. uh, and just draws out emotion and asks that question. I, and when I hear it, I in my own heart rejoice to say, yeah, she did know. Mm-hmm. She did know. And that is a blessing. And so I, it's not a song that I would prohibit, but at the same time I really wish that either the one singing it or even better, the author had finished it up with another verse that said, Mary, yes, you knew. You knew. You knew that a soul would pierce even your own, a, a sword would pierce even your own soul, mm. as as Simeon says when Jesus is eight days old. Uh, you knew that he was set for the rise and fall of many in Israel, again, as Simeon said. And you knew that he was the redeemer and such a a rejoicing then to know that mary who knows all of this says behold the bond slave of the lord be it done unto me as thou hast spoken mm-hmm. and she doesn't push back she doesn't deny and she understands even as she uh, says that uh, uh you know excuse me as elizabeth says to mary from this day forth all women will call you blessed that she is the one that is able to bring forth the Christ child. Or as Elizabeth says, how can it be that the mother of my Lord should come unto me? And Mm. that, when you read it, uh, Elizabeth gives that declaration before they've even had anything other than a greeting. And Elizabeth is very knowledgeable that Mary is the mother of Elizabeth's Lord. Yes, the Lord Jesus. And it's, uh, by the way, I love that. Uh, scripture because it is a very strong argument for life in the womb and the awareness of 
a fetus, a living human being in the womb who leaped for joy. Uh, I thought I think that's a very important greeting to recognize, don't you? Indeed, it says so much about life in the womb and 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 viability and personality within yes, the womb, and that yes. it is a real soul that is there not waiting to gain its identity but that was john the baptist in the womb and uh, leaping for joy at the sound of the 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 presence of his lord coming in who was in the womb of uh, of mary his mother mm-hmm. i i really do want to get to zachariah's prophecy before we run out of time but before that going back to joseph um joseph who the Bible tells us, had in mind to divorce Mary quietly, and they weren't technically married. But when you're pledged to be married in those days, you are committed. Could you explain that, Pastor Randy, and what what Joseph knew? Right. You know, marriage customs obviously do change over the centuries and over the cultures, and here they were betrothed to one another, committed to one another, and likely by their families. And this was something that was going to happen, and yet it was required that he keep her as a virgin until uh, until they came to the to the marriage time, mm-hmm. and that had not yet come. And here she's found to be with child, and this is basic biology yes. a problem here that Joseph is dealing with, and so he he looks at it being a righteous man. He knows that he has to do something with this, and yet he also loves Mary and cares for her, and so he desires to do it secretly. Let's figure out, you know, what can we? What's the best scenario I can make out of this mess? And that's when the angel comes and encourages him again with some logistical information. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. That which has been found in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a child. You will call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. And from that point, Joseph doesn't have, doesn't display a bit of hesitancy. He arises, he took her as his wife, kept her a virgin until she gave birth to her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. And Joseph is a very willing partner in this. As soon as, again, the angel through the vision in his dream gives him the confirmation that this is the Messiah. Mm, I, I can't imagine what people were saying <laughs> at that time, what did Joseph explain to them that, I mean, he must have known in his heart, uh, the angel, of course, made it very clear and strongly encouraged him, um, and, and yet people are going to have a hard time grasping that, oh, oh, oh yeah, she's just just supernaturally pregnant. I'm not sure people had, uh, I, th- I think it might have taken a while, I know that's speculation, but what do you think about that, Pastor Randy? You know, sometimes I wonder, and uh, this may be reading our own culture into that culture, but sometimes I wonder if indeed that's why she, Mary, immediately left and went and spent, it looks like, about six months in uh, the hill country of Judea Mm. rather than staying around her home there. Interesting, Uh, yeah. Just because sometimes it's easier not to deal with the way people are talking, and surely they probably were talking, and yet... I also wonder, again, in her neighborhood, her very Jewish neighborhood, they had a synagogue there that Jesus grew up in, of course. Was there also in that community the understanding? And maybe they were rejoicing with her and even calling her blessed by then, because at that point, it was 
every Jewish girl's desire to give birth to the Messiah. So this understanding, and of course, the prophecy of Zechariah, excuse me, of Isaiah, a virgin shall bring forth a son. Yes. That was known. And probably they were saying, well, let's wait and see. Maybe maybe she is uh, with child of the Holy Ghost. Let's let's keep our fingers crossed, if I may use such a term. Interesting perspective. So they did know they did have an idea of of those scriptures. And yeah, virgin will be with child. Right. Um, That's right. uh, Go ahead. No, I was actually going to jump ahead to Zechariah and Elizabeth. But if you had an extra point there to make, please do. Well, no, I was just going to point out that in the Hebrew scriptures, to not have a child was the worst thing that could happen to a woman. Mm -hmm. And we know that just from a cursory reading of the Old Testament. And the reason was because they were expecting the Messiah to be born with a, from a woman, oh. as was promised in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, in a very vague sense. But they were looking forward to that. And so this, this uh, heartfelt desire to see the Messiah born was something that the Hebrew culture very much knew. Wow. So much. It's such a rich story when you talk about the human beings involved and at the time, we know what we're supposed to know because we have the Gospels, we have the Old Testament prophecies, we don't have all the details, we didn't hear every conversation, but we don't need to. Um, we, are, we have exactly what we need to know about the people involved. So let's go to Zechariah, and in Luke chapter 1, uh, toward the end of the chapter, um, first of all, Pastor Randy, do you want to set that up to where uh, when he was ministering? And oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm I'm getting ahead of myself here. Go ahead, just take it. No, that's okay, Zechariah. Uh, the father of John the Baptist. Yes. And when John the Baptist was born, mm-hmm. he gives this word of prophecy. The scripture tells us in Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 67, 68, that as he's naming John, he prophesied. Now, prophecy, of course, is telling the future, and that's what he was doing. And he said, this is about three months before Jesus is born. He said, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people and hath raised up a horn of salvation for us and the servant of the house of, uh, of David. And he is saying that not about his child. And it's very clear it's not about John, but he's saying that about the one to come that that God has has been here Hmm. and there is soon to be Emmanuel with us and God and redeemed his people. He knows the mission of the Christ child and what is going to come. And he's giving this again, prophecy because Jesus hasn't even been born yet. And yet Zachariah very much is in the know about what's happening. And he clarifies that in, in this uh, prophecy in the, in Luke chapter one, verse 75 uh, and 76, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, so he's talking to John the Baptist, now the, the child John the Baptist, you will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. 
That, that's right. And that's encouraging that that passage is so clear that yes. shows us Zechariah knew exactly what he was saying mm. about John, his son, and what he was saying about the Christ who was to be born. And he kept these two separate. And he understood John as the forerunner of the Messiah, the one who would uh, be the, the prophet of the highest and would go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. And he understood Jesus, the coming Christ child, as the redeemer of the nation of Israel. Hmm. It's amazing. I'm glad we're having this conversation, Pastor Randy. By the way, we're speaking with Pastor Randy, uh, Randy White Ministries, and um, we are definitely talking about some things that I think we need to kind of get a clearer understanding of as far as the people involved in true history. Um, that we call it the Christmas story, but what happened when they were all getting these announcements from angels and how they were reacting, they weren't reacting like they weren't shocked. It's like nothing they've ever heard of before. We need to understand that they knew a whole lot more than I think many of us really either gave them credit for or understood. Um, do you want to jump ahead to Simeon and Anna? Because that is a fascinating uh, story in Luke chapter 2. Let's do it. Let me just say very briefly that that was a society that understood these things. Again, I think uh, the older generation of Americans grew up in a society that understood the backstory to the Christmas story. We probably live in a generation today that if we just bounce in with the Christmas story, it has no foundation, no connection. Mm. In order to explain the Christmas story, we probably need to tell all of these things that Zachariah knew and Elizabeth knew and Simeon and Anna and Joseph and Mary and why there's a genealogy and pull it in to where it really is this truth of in the fullness of time, God came and brought forth his son. We, we're in a, a, a society that really has total lack of knowledge about biblical things, unfortunately. Absolutely, I agree. Um, and we've got to be better at that in the church to be more, uh, not just educated in depth on our understanding of the Old Testament and the true history here that we're talking about today. Uh, particularly like for this one in Luke 2, um, Simeon basically said, um, God, I have now seen the Messiah. You can release me and I can die. You know, so I'd love to for you to just explain what he knew and what how he was so expectant of the Messiah. Again, uh, Simeon, uh, having lived his life serving the Lord, and he had been given a, a, a revelation that he was going to see the Christ before he died. And he, when, when Mary and Joseph came in to carry out the uh, law, he took this child, bless God, now let us thy servant depart in peace. I have, mine eyes have seen thy salvation. And Anna, shortly thereafter, comes and does the same thing. And she has not had this revelation that she's going to see the Christ child. But both of them, I think, are there. And they are, uh, again, knowing that soon, if not today, uh, a couple is going to bring a child in to dedicate uh, their child according to the law, and that's going to be the Messiah. And knowing all of the details that have been given, I just wonder if they didn't ask a few questions that we don't have recorded in the <laughs> scripture. And maybe they don't say, um, hey, where are you from? Oh, we're from Nazareth. Ah, was your baby born in Nazareth? No, he was born in Bethlehem. And immediately huh. they began to say, yeah. he's going to be called a Nazarene. He's going to be born in the city of David. 
this looks like he fits the bill. And they begin to ask the other questions and, and say, you know what, are, are you, uh, uh, do you happen to be of the house and lineage of David? Why, yes, we both are, as a matter of fact. And they just connect the dots and say, mm. this is the Messiah. Now I have seen thy salvation. Amen. And that's such a powerful testimony. Um, and, and, and then, you know, so you've got the angels introducing this event, world-changing event, history-altering event. And you've got uh, Joseph's response. You've got Mary's response. You've got Zachariah's prophecy about John the Baptist leading the way. Uh, preparing the way. You've got Simeon, who we just talked about. And then uh, later on in Luke chapter 2 here, down in verse uh, 36, and then there was a prophetess, as if the, everything else was not enough, right? And then there was a prophetess, Anna, and she was advanced in years, and it says she lived uh, with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then she, as a widow, uh, to the age of 84, she never left the temple serving night and day with fastings and prayers. And it tells us uh, an important point about her life, too. At that very moment, when the parents brought Jesus in to the temple, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. That's verse 38. Pastor Randy, give us a little that's, insight that's right. on Anna. It's, it's interesting to me that it says uh, that, that coming in, it says in that instant she gave thanks uh, mm. and spoke for all that looked for the redemption of Jerusalem. And that really was the nation. The faithful of the nation were looking for the Redeemer, longing for the Redeemer. Again, this great expectation. And uh, in, in some uh, Christian circles, they uh, call the season Advent and talk about Advent, uh, the arrival. And it really was a season season for uh, Israel at that time of looking for the arrival of the king, the advent, mm. and longing for it. And when you're looking for something and you know the details, you know exactly what you're looking for and you know when you found it. And that's exactly what you've got all through the accounts of the Christmas uh, history. And that, that verse 38 there in Luke uh, chapter 2, uh, it's a kind of an interesting thing that she was in a way a witness from that point on because it says she continued to speak of him Jesus the Messiah to all those who were looking for the redemption of uh, redemption of Jerusalem I find that to be very interesting because she didn't die right there like apparently Simeon was released <laughs> from this right. earth but Anna continued that's very interesting uh, wording there in, indeed. In fact, you've got uh, Anna continues, and of course, the shepherds go on their way rejoicing, making known yes. the things that yeah. have been told them. So they're Witnesses. announcing the birth of the Christ child. Of course, the Magi come, and uh, they uh, cause a stir in Jerusalem to, so that really very quickly, everybody is in the know about what is happening, mm -hmm. and it is not a secret event at all. Yes, I think that's such an important point to take away from this morning, Pastor Randy, and thank you for um, just just taking us through these different stories, the, the people that were involved, because they absolutely knew. They were well-versed, most of them, on the Hebrew Scriptures. They knew the prophecies about Messiah. Uh, if we could wrap it up in a couple minutes here, um, could you, geographically, I look at the Magi, and it, it says from the east, 
they arrived, but they knew who they were looking for. So those who sent the scribes, meaning the the people that knew the the Hebrew scriptures, they knew exactly about where the Christ was to be born and where to send the Magi, right? They did. In fact, the Magi arrived from the east, I believe from Babylon, and they ask, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? Mm. They know who they're looking for, and that is the king of the Jews, and they're not looking for Herod, and that's... (laughs) uh, causes Herod, obviously, uh, an awful lot of uh, uh, angst in all of that. But they then, or Herod then turns to the scribes, because Herod's the only one that doesn't know, as the uh, king of the Jews, he doesn't know his Jewish theology. (laughs) So he turns to the scribes, and they say, well, in Bethlehem of Judea, and mentions uh, the the, uh, prophecy from Micah about being born in Bethlehem. They send the Magi on to Bethlehem, and of course, they give the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I think those magi actually are Jewish sages of the same uh, company of sorts of Daniel that didn't return in the exile. They remained there, and yet those Jews in Babylon, which was the second largest Jewish city in the world at that time, mm. they were also looking for the arrival of the king of the Jews. Wow. So much in this rich history. Um, So when we, I just want to encourage our our listeners, Pastor Randy, I know you probably would too, to look at this story as the true history as it is, and much fulfillment of of scriptures and and prophecies on the Messiah, um, instead of just how we've kind of made it about maybe entertaining, maybe a Christmas story, and there's cartoons, there's Christmas movies, no, this is actual history, and these were very real people who were, uh, from what we understand, not caught off guard or shocked or surprised that it was happening, but maybe they were just a little uh, taken aback that it happened to them. You know, that's an interesting thought, is it not? It is. And this events that God is suddenly coming up with, deciding to send his son to be the redeemer. This is something that has uh, the entire Old Testament building up to it, Mm. which is why Galatians then again says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. And I think that this uh, account of history and all of the accounts through the New Testament, even the Old Testament, when you look at those, if you have been a good student of the word and you know what built up to it, it is even so much more exciting than if you just look at the random occurrence, uh, what looks like a random occurrence set along by itself. So I just encourage the listeners this Christmas time to determine that in these coming days, you're going to be a full a student of the full word of God, just knowing all of the little facts and it will make every history is recorded really come alive spiritually. Uh, Pastor Randy White, thank you so much. I really think this has been a beneficial conversation to have, and we appreciate your insights, and uh, God bless you, brother, and have a Merry Christmas. Thank you. I appreciate it, and would again love to see anyone at that online Christmas Eve service, 8 p.m. Central at uh, randywhiteministries.org. We'll put the link in today's podcast, Pastor Randy White. When we come back from break, we're going to talk about tomorrow's very special guest. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. 
Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now, we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. All right, thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, tomorrow, very special guest, author Hillary Morgan Ferrer. Her book is called Mama Bear Apologetics. And uh, it is great having Elizabeth Johnson, the activist mommy, on yesterday. Kind of a theme going now. We've got Hillary Morgan Ferrer. We'll talk to her about her book and talk apologetics. I, apparently for mama bears, but I'm sure for everybody. That's tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. God bless you and keep speaking the truth about things that matter. <laughs>